who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. What's happening, friends? Welcome to Podcast Unlocked, episode 418. It is November 5th already. The year is almost over. We've got plenty to talk about on this week's show, headlined by BlizzCon stuff. Diablo 4, James Duggan has played it. We're going to talk to him, plus Overwatch 2, and some other next-gen news for Project Scarlet. Stay tuned for all that and more on this week's Podcast Unlocked. What's happening, friends? Ryan McCaffrey here, Miranda Sanchez there. Hello. James Duggan over there. What's up? You uh, look tired, like you've been at BlizzCon. For yeah, a, I don't, it just all hit me this morning. I don't really know. <laughs> Woke up yesterday ready to go. Woke up today like late, and I was like, hmm. If I didn't have this unlocked obligation, I would have stayed in bed for another hour. But oh, you're going to guilt trip me on yes. now. Yes, <laughs> it's your fault. <laughs> now, I appreciate you coming on, because uh, you are definitely our, our featured speaker today, because you, uh, I think if not the only person in the office, one of just a couple that has played Diablo 4, a game that, by Blizzard's own admission, isn't even coming out Blizzard soon. Yeah. So (laughs) we'll get to that. Uh, But first, I hope everybody enjoyed the Chad Michael Collins interview last week. I thought it was super fascinating to talk to an actor who who did not just voiceover, but performance capture for uh, not only a video game, but one of the biggest video games. So he was really fun to talk to. Uh, now, speaking of Call of Duty, Miranda, your final, it's over. I did it. The final we Call did, of Duty. It. Yeah. Uh, Modern War, mostly you. The final Call of Duty <laughs> Modern Warfare review is up. Yes. Um, every year, I think there's always a sigh of relief once it's up, just because it's kind of a mad rush for us since we don't do the review yeah. event. Yeah. Um, so that means as soon as it's live, it's like, all right, guys, go, go, go. Get this done as fast as you can, but as thoroughly as you can. So it's always just like a rush of excitement of, okay, how are we feeling about this? Let's let's take a moment to like really cre- critically evaluate everything that we can. 
Um, and yeah, I ended up giving it an eight overall. Um, a lot of that was definitely carried by the campaign, which you got to review. Yeah. I had the easy part cause my part was five hours long right. and then I could just write and go. And you had, you had a lot more multiplayer meat to, uh, to rip campaign, into though. It gets, uh, intense in like appropriate ways. Um, I think my favorite part about the campaigns though, which we didn't really get to talk too much in depth about, and I don't think we want to get into spoilers. Yeah. We day. kept it spoiler free last yeah. week. We'll wait. I think maybe till, uh, Next time we have Mark on, yeah. since he's also finished it. I'll save my thoughts for later. Yeah, then. James, have you played? Have you had a chance to play Call of Duty? Oh, absolutely. The, the campaign, I've dozens of hours. But yeah. the campaign, though. Oh yeah, yes. Finished I finished it. it at. So I actually went to the review event for. We do go to capture gameplay. Right. We just don't go capture. there. To, we don't go there. To we don't send the reviewers there. So yeah. there was a little bit of confusion on Twitter. People were reaching out and like, but you did go. And actually, a great reason why we don't review off of the review event is because I mean, this this is a classic example. Went to the review event had the time of my life in multiplayer, but it's a very unique environment compared to the live release, which obviously has things like server problems. And I think other longer term problems start to kind of make themselves clear. Like, uh, in my experience right now, um, the thing that I cannot stand is enemy spotted. <laughs> and it's like, you know, your character will just blurt stuff out and give your, uh, character's position away and even if it didn't do that for the enemy like just let me figure out that there's an enemy there so good luck with competitive play right. in esports I mean, the, the the review event is a super controlled environment right. where there where regular people that buy the game are not going to play it in that right. environment so uh, miranda you you did see some of those you know early teething server issues that yeah they weren't actually too bad. At least yeah, that is smoothed out. Servers was it was kind of an issue for like maybe an hour on day one, and then it was fine after. Um, there's been a lot of really interesting launch issues though, and as far as them not really including everything at launch and not saying yeah, that they're not. Yeah, you touched on that last week. Yeah, so they finally added um, um, a playlist for the night maps, but that's after like almost a week after launch, if not more, and yeah. they didn't say anything about. Yeah, that. Yeah, that's a shame. Missing. There's a lot of problem with challenge tracking. Uh, yeah. Certain challenges just won't even trigger. Some won't track. So and it's like available in November. It's like what? Why? Oh. <laughs> what? Why November? I mean, maybe it's part of the season, but some of it doesn't make sense as to why it would be part of a season. So it's so it's a little bit weird. You know, I I called the campaign. Speaking as someone who's played every Call of Duty campaign. I call it the, the, my favorite campaign in the last 10 years since Black Ops 1. It sounds like from not only talking to you on the air, but off the air, that multiplayer is more of a mixed bag in that, like, I know you really love the the realism stuff, yeah. but then other stuff is 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 more frustrating. James, you just touched on it a second ago. So it sounds like, you know, you know, you still, you gave it an eight. We, that's a great game by on the IGN scale. Um, you know, I know you and I personally may not, uh, people might go, well, you gave this Call of Duty game a higher score. Well, those are different reviewers with it different is. opinions. Yes. And that's simply that. We're just different. We'd work for the same outlet, but like we're, we're different human that, beings. If I would have reviewed that, probably would have been different. Yeah, if I, I, I rag on Call of Duty Ghosts a lot. Yeah. Uh, I would not have... I would not have come even close to the to the score our our reviewer did. That's for okay because that. that's what they decided Ex at yeah, the time was appropriate. Exactly right. Uh, in fact, we just we we sat down and we put together uh, on the heels of this Call of Duty release. We did a, a fun little feature of ranking all of the campaigns, yeah. specifically just the Call of Duty campaigns. So, which basically that included every game except Black Ops Four, since Black Ops Four didn't have a campaign. And uh, yeah, I knew right away. What was going to be the last one on the list, which turns out was the fifteenth number fifteen on the list was uh, was all Call of Duty Ghosts. 
And then number one, it was a it was a close battle. So take a look at that if you're yeah. interested. Um, but yeah, you're free. You can now play other video games. Yeah, I think I'll go back and play some more <laughs> realism. I want yeah. to play more of the night modes. I like Ground War well enough. Um, it's probably not going to keep me nearly as long as the other Call of Duties have, um, unless like the season stuff ends up being really interesting, which, I mean, we don't really know. What do you think about Gunfight? That stood uh, out to me as like the standout multiplayer mode. It's fine. I mean, it's fine because I don't have people that I want to play with in that. Like there are some people I could, and I don't really like having to rely on one other person. Like I've already had one person on the mic who's just like yelling and just having mm. to mute that person's annoying. And I mean, that's, it's that's literally one other person on my team. Yeah. I mean, that one I think person, you could say the same thing about apex, but that's the contingent on two other players. Um, I do think yeah. it's like a low bar for entry in terms of finding a, a good team. But. Yeah. I'm with you. I, I really enjoyed gunfight specifically because I, I fare better in smaller groups, and yeah. I like the even playing field I'm not that, it's, that Gunfight it's offers. Bad. Oh, I, know I you're don't not like it. That. It's just yeah. that I prefer not to play it. I yeah. think I can see why it's a really exciting mode, but it's not something that the, I'm. The other thing really that I really like about it is in multiplayer, we're kind of getting into a very strict meta in the sense that everybody's using the 725 uh, mm-hmm. breach loader shotgun. It's just completely ubiquitous in pretty much every game mode that's not hardcore. Um, and when you go into Gunfight, it's randomized, so you get the full kind of plethora, and you get to play with guns that you otherwise never really would. I think it's also multiplayer saying that you play on PC, so for sure. What thing? What things shake out there versus on console are a little different. Well, it is crossplay, so yes, true. but I mean, I'm, you I'm don't in, just play with PC people automatically. Usually, um, mouse and keyboard people. I mean, yeah, I've been I've been putting I've, I've queued up solo and been put in lobbies with entirely PS4 and Xbox players. Yeah, so. I don't. I don't really know the back end there, but uh, yeah. I guess. I guess my point here is that like, I I could see myself playing gunplay for a couple more months. I don't know that I'm interested in continuing to play conventional TDM unless some balance things happen. Yeah, fair enough. Um, by the way, if if folks out there, if you haven't seen James Duggan's uh, 47 kill round. Uh, video gameplay video that's on on IGN and on our YouTube. You should Google that slash YouTube search it and check it out because uh, yeah, you took you took the the review event participants <clears throat> and basically <laughs> basically um, made them all just bend the knee to you. <laughs> it's really impressive. I mean, that's another great example of like how a review event environment is different from live, you know? And that's uh, the thing I, I fare, I tend to fare pretty well against yeah. my fellow like games media people, but out in the wild, like now I'm an old man now. Yeah. That's uh, <laughs> it's, it's not the hardest. What's funny is the uh, disparity between the difficulty level there, which I would quantify as pretty low versus the difficulty level for a post-release thing where it's just influencers just yeah streamers. the streamers and then all of a sudden it's the sweatiest thing on planet earth like the apex thing i did right before that was season three you know lulu lovely was there and she was like doing like i think she had like five or six wins so we were having a really difficult i mean we, we got enough footage and, and i had some good games but like it is so that is almost like esports level of, of yeah. competition so it's fun it's just awesome interesting uh real quick are you playing after party friends if you're not here's your friendly ign reminder that's a really cool video game, and it's on. It's a brand new game that's right into Game Pass, so you should check that out from our friends at Oxenfree. Sean Crankle, who came in here, did IGN Unfiltered. He was the first guest on the new Barcade set mm-hmm. next door. So, yeah, if you need a little uh, palate cleanser from Call of Duty or any of the other sort of major action games, why not go down to hell uh, and play a, a dialogue-fueled adventure game 
where you want to out drink Satan. Please go to hell and have a good time. <laughs> no, it's like a shorter game too, so it's like it is That's really true. nice. Speaking of hell, oh, was that, that first was segue just yeah, nailed that. That's a host host points for me. <laughs> Diablo Four. Yeah. Um, Miranda, are you have you been a Diablo person? Absolutely not. No, I, I but, played three and I did not like it. I thought it was very boring. Fair enough. <laughs> so, uh, that's that's what I like. Yeah. You know, Blizzard. They've they've got at this point uh, a one of the most polished real-time strategy games on the planet in StarCraft. They've got, uh, you know, the, the, the click-fest action RPG that's near and dear to my heart in Diablo. And now they've got Overwatch. And we got yep. uh, two of those three, uh, plus, of course, World of Warcraft. Like Hearthstone, too. Uh, and, and then the Hearthstone on the card. So they've, they've, you know, they've dipped their toe in all these different genres. And for me, Diablo is the last one of the Blizzard franchises that really speaks to me. Mm. Um, I, for some reason, Overwatch never quite clicked with me, and I and I and I, it's on me. It's not the game. The oh, game yeah, that's is great. exactly how I feel about Diablo. It's like yeah. it's not something I personally enjoy, but I appreciate why people like it. Yeah. Um, I actually had like the optimal setting too. It's like it was me and, and a few friends, and we were just playing for hours. And we had snacks, and it was like you know it was supposed to be fun. Yeah. And I was like, Can yeah. We if, stop that, playing? if that doesn't get you into it, then I'm. Not <laughs> I sure don't want to play this anymore. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, my my heart was warmed. Big time when when the uh, when Diablo Four was finally announced mm. at, at, to kick off BlizzCon, we got a, a eight minute nine s- nine thank you c- CG trailer that is very dark, very good, very good, very yeah. gross, uh, really sets the tone. And then a few minutes later, we got the first gameplay trailer, which made me happy again because it's like showing a lot of the right stuff. We're not. We're not messing with this in the wrong ways. Yep. Uh, we've got uh, the barbarians back, which I'm. I think it's because I look like me and I don't look like you that I always want to play the big strong guy. I play the barbarian because that's yeah. not what I am in real life. Like I want to live that power fantasy. But for Diablo one, Diablo two, Diablo three, I'm always the like warrior, warrior barbarian. Or barbarian. Yeah, yeah. yeah, either one. Uh, but then also shown off was the druid, and we'll. T- I want to talk oh, to you wow. about. I, yeah. I even heard about the excitement about the druid. I was just <laughs> yeah. like. I have a lot of friends here who are very into uh, Blizzard stuff, and so I was just like looking at. I was like, "I'm happy for you all." <laughs> yes, but let's start at the, just sort of at the top, uh, James. Yeah. So there was a playable demo, yes, uh, which I I don't even know if we'd call it pre-alpha. It's a it's a it's a slice of something, and you got to play it, and you came back raving. You came yeah. back with a lot of positive things to say, and I want to hear about that stuff right now. Sure. All right. Just a little um, context here. I think the probably the first game that I ever got into in a major way, I was uh, 10 or 11 years old, was Diablo 2. Yes. Um, and it really kind of set a precedent for me thematically in terms of a very bleak, um, destitute world uh, with Marius. And if you guys haven't seen the Diablo 2 cinematics, they're a little bit dated at this point, but I highly recommend you just go watch them just to get a sense of difference in tone from 2, like 1 and 2 compared to 3. 3 is almost feels Warcrafty. It's, yeah, it's, it's fair. not, yeah. um, it, it doesn't, it didn't thematically for me hit that. But anyway, there's this whole other side, which is mechanically, you have this big Luke Ryan, this class fantasy, this multiplayer RPG. And I think Diablo 2 was kind of the precursor to World of Warcraft in a lot of ways. Um, and I, I remember David Brevik, I believe it was him. He uh, either wrote an article or got quoted in an article saying that, no, maybe it wasn't David Brevik. It might've been another Diablo 2 uh, designer. But anyway, their point was, World of Warcraft was Diablo 3, so to speak. Huh. And then when Diablo 3 came around, it was this kind of an identity crisis where there was World of Warcraft over here, Blizzard's most successful game of all time, far and away, and really their their means of making money. 
And then they have this other franchise, Diablo, that thematically is very, very similar. So they have a Venn diagram shared space. Yeah. And so I think with Diablo 3, it kind of had an identity crisis at launch. The skill tree was going all over the place right before... Uh, in beta, for those who remember, it kind of came out. The itemization didn't make a lot of sense. And the, the, and the, and the art design right. saw sort of a radical change after some very stylized, loud very cartoon. Yeah. yeah. So, so Diablo three got to a place with Reaper Souls. Yes. And I actually, I've been playing it um, since I played the Diablo four demo. Um, I've been playing it and having a lot of fun. And and I think the Diablo three, there's there's definitely a lot of good stuff there. However, um, Diablo four, in terms of what I played, I think. Uh, is doing what I want the Diablo franchise to do, which is move forward unhindered by how similar it might be to World of Warcraft. Um, and there are things like there there are shared world environments. So Path of Exile and Torchlight Frontiers, which are uh, two kind of 2019 relevant and tor- action Torchlight RPGs. is made by some ex Diablo yeah. developers. Um, they're doing this, which is essentially there's a pseudo MMO thing happening where when you go into an open zone, you have a shared world space, just like destiny two, where you have people kind of phased into your environment. Yeah. Um, there are public events in Diablo four, very, very similar to, to destiny two. And then when you go into something like a dungeon or a cave related to a quest, it's instant specifically to you or your party. So that context is really important because the whole rest of the demo, uh, is kind of built around that. Um, so mechanically, that's what's happening. Uh, the combat is pretty similar to Diablo 3. I would say it's it's dialed back in terms of like the fantasy behind it. It's a little bit more grounded, and okay. that kind of is a good segue into the thematics, which are more uh, dreary. And 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 I've used the word myopic, but maybe that, that's not the best word. The, uh, it, it, you're concerned with the world, the monsters, and the people in front of you as opposed to opening the game and it's like in the beginning there was angels and demons and the eternal conflict. You know, you can't relate to that. It's so nebulous. So, uh, in Diablo four, you start out and you're in a crypt with skeletons and you come out and like, it's it's classic. Right. Um, and it looks realistic. Like they're, they're not pulling any punches graphically, which I appreciate. Um, the camera kind of dynamically zooms into your character's face for cutscenes. Um, the camera can back out for something like kind of a raid in, uh, encounter. It's um, like a 12 player plus public boss. We'll get to that in a second. Yeah, yeah for sure. Covered off on that too. So, so it felt very much to me like a spiritual successor to Diablo two. Oh my, just hold on. <laughs> hold on. I know. I know. Hey, all right. Yeah. <laughs> You're <were> right there. <laughs> I mean, you, you mentioned that Diablo two was one of your first sort of, that's like one of the pillar games of your gaming yep. life. I mean, I'm a little older, but uh, that Diablo 2 was college uh, for me. And and I remember the night when it came out, uh, my buddies and I, this is, again, to age myself, we all dragged our our computer towers and our CRT monitors over to my buddy Robert's house. And we hooked up the LAN and we went all night. And uh, Diablo 2 is, if not, it's either, it's at least a top five all-time game for me maybe even a top three. So I'm right there with you. I think Diablo 2 has been the pinnacle of this series so far as far as the, the, the way this, the, the, the loot grind works, the character classes, the, uh, the, the variety of the environments. And so hearing you sort of tell me that it's, it's sort of a, an evolution from there rather more, more so of course it takes stuff from Diablo three, but right. where it's, especially it's mechanically, yeah, right. it's more yeah. sort of 
it's really f- zeroing in on two is just that's music to my ears. Yeah, yeah, and and you, I encourage everybody out there to watch the. Um, I believe it's the deep dive panel, or it's the Blizzard Diablo What's Next panel, which is the one immediately following the keynote, and they go into they go into these motifs, talking about how they want to keep it grounded, they want to keep it. Um, if if instead of high fantasy, they want to keep it more focused on the occult, on um, <clears throat> kind of biblical. That was one thing the Diablo three really straight away from because Diablo two has you know pentagrams and like oh yeah there's a there's the a whole, menu has pentagrams yeah on yeah it. <laughs> right uh, Diablo four I don't think they're referencing any specific religious texts but certainly they're kind of getting back to their their biblical commentary roots maybe not even commentary but just um, it it feels very medieval fantasy mm. um, and then I I think the three classes have a pretty strong uh, fantasy behind each of them. I think one thing that I would like to see is I would like to see the ability. Uh, my my biggest problem with Diablo three is when you get to the end game and people are going to be like, "Oh, you haven't gotten to Greater Rift one ten. You just don't know yet. You've only gotten to Greater Rift ninety nine. It's not. It's the same thing, man. It's the once you get to a a build complete point in Diablo three and you have all your set items and your legendaries and you have this. Every single build can be described as uh, infinite damage, mitigation, and healing. And therefore, you have this ubiquitous gameplay around every single class where, yes, there's different flavor, but ultimately, you're just doing the same thing. Um, I would rather see classes that this class can do this and no other class can do that. Right. It's um, like the ideal thing of classes. Absolutely. <laughs> should right? be special. And Otherwise, individual. what's the point of yeah. a class? <laughs> right. like, what's oh, the point well, of having them? Another name. Yeah. So I, I want to see that. I think that Diablo 3 is much more tactical and you have to be much more calculated, especially if you're playing something like Hardcore during the initial grind up before you get geared. And so I want to see how they are able to take that and, and move forward with that end game. Uh, a great example was the bosses. Yes, so there we go. The bosses in the Diablo 4 demo. Um, the first one is a drowned witch. Uh, there's some really, really cool narrative there. You essentially, um, and, and she's, it turns out that the kind of like uh, patriarchal family in this fishing village that you come across called Korbach has been sacrificing their children uh, and vil- the village children to this witch so that she gives them a bountiful harvest when they go fishing. <laughs> so you're not going to stand for that, right? Uh, whether you're playing the druid, sorcerer, or barbarian. And uh, so you jump down in there into this drowned cave that this boy has a vision of um, and fight this witch. And she has a lot of telegraphs similar to the mouth ale fight. I think that's great because the isometric camera is forcing you to look at the ground. So there should be a lot of stuff to dodge, a lot of fire not to stand in. Yeah. Um, and then another really cool thing that potentially borrowed from Sekiro, but also maybe just something that they um, conceptualized is in Diablo, there's always this weird uh, like dissonance with stun effects. So if you have a stun ability, it's really good for small enemies. And then it works on some bosses, but not others. And it always feels bad when you go up to a big boss and try and stun it and it doesn't work. Um, now there's a stun meter. So you and your party if you're using the sorceress and just shooting a frost missile or um, using the uh, barbarian and uh, doing like a leap or a ground stomp or something, it adds to that stun meter and eventually you get a stun phase where the boss is like, you know, Legend of Zelda style. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> um, so that felt really good. But the penultimate boss in this is, and I always get this name wrong, I want to, uh, it's a Shava, I believe. A Shava the Pestilent, it's that giant, giant, giant undead dragon. And the way that works is it's a public event where you go up to it, attuned to the rock, and I think the game kind of dynamically senses how many players are around. And once there are enough players around, it starts a five-minute countdown. 
which is a long time in Diablo. Yeah. So then you have time to go do things like get a shrine to empower you. Um, oh, before kind of the boss before fight the, starts? Before the boss oh, okay. even summons. Interesting. Uh, and when the boss does finally come out, right, you have your standard isometric camera, and then it backs out to like three times, you know, less magnification. So you're able to see the boss, the entire arena. It's a lot like Yotun, if you guys ever played that, hmm. um, where it's pretty close up, but then when you get into a boss fight with this giant, massive boss, it backs out. Is that the one? I don't know if you've had a chance to watch the gameplay video since you yeah. were in no, the eye I, of the hurricane. Yeah. Is that the same boss that you can see that's in that? Because there is a yeah. boss that's shown yes. in the, that video. It's, it's like an undead drake dragony kind of thing. It yeah. might it's it huge. might be some I mean, lizard. It's, it's yeah, massive. it's massive. It takes up the whole screen right. and he looks at the camera and right. pulls back. Uh, and so it does you know, these plague breath attacks you have to dodge and then it does this massive scythe that just takes one of its wings or claws and just does a 360 round there and you have to watch out for that telegraph um, because it'll one shot you if you don't and and what's exciting is as you're fighting this boss you may have only two or three players emergently again not in your party starting the encounter by the end of the encounter I was counting upwards of 12 wow people on screen at once in Diablo game which for folks out there is like you know Diablo 2 had a max size of eight I believe no yeah. Yeah. That yeah, sounds you right. Have, you could have eight in there. Yeah. I remember those dueling games where people would duel outside of um, the Rogue encampment. Anyway, the point is technically they can go very high, but you're not then taking that full party of 12 and going and doing all the other content. You can take, you can open up a social menu and invite people and be like, hey, uh, Druid, you were really good in this fight. Why don't we do some quests together? And then you guys can go back out and it'll instance you. And the max party size is four. But otherwise, there are these emergent public events that are kind of giving you that raid vibe. I really hope they explore that. And I hope they don't shy away from making that something kind of end gamey. Um, yeah, some, yeah. Uh, you know, something I don't have to be level 99 to do. Yeah, but something <laughs> that I can do at 99 and still enjoy, yeah. hopefully. Yeah, it sounds like you were saying that this is far, far away, probably. Um, so maybe they're kind of using a lot of the feedback from this to see like what direction they should explore and see it's like, oh, they really liked this kind of element of the raid or they want more people to be involved or whatever they. Yeah. And and on that note, uh, so the game was announced for PC, PS4 and Xbox One. But and I tweeted this like there's this game is is not coming out anytime soon. It I'm I would bet my job that this is also coming out yeah. on Scarlet. They just aren't announcing that probably until the Scarlet itself has a, has a, yeah. an official name. And right. so it, this will be coming to, uh, to Scarlet, uh, along, you know, unless you prefer to play on PC, but, and again, I, I'm a Diablo lifer like you, and I was shocked at how good Diablo three is, uh, on a game pad. It is, yeah. it is, I, th- I think maybe a- as good, and I might even prefer it to PC well, only because of the, the couch co-op. Well, there's the couch co-op. I'm I'm a PC player through and through, but I will say the one thing that I was a little envious of as a Diablo 3 PC player was the dodge roll that you get. So yeah. if you play on a, a controller, you're able to kind of like dodge roll, and it can get you out of the way of telegraphs, which yeah. is a really cool thing. They have that in Diablo 4, nice. regardless of your class. Space bar, you Dash, right? yeah. Right. Um, so that's, and, and really it's very, very world focused, very telegraph focused. Uh, so the combat, at least in this demo is much more tactical and I hope it can retain that, but there's one key part that I haven't discussed yet that we have to talk about, which is the loot. All right. You got to make it quick. Cause we have a okay, lot more. Right, to get here we go. Uh, so there are two cool things here. The one, the first thing I want to talk about is a legendary I picked up called Thunderspire for the Druid. 
The druid, you basically start in this uh, just human form. You can go into a werewolf and a werebear. And, so you played, and you play as, which played classes? All, all three. three. Yeah. Played all three, okay. Um, and so as you're dynamically shifting classes based on the attacks you're using, or, or sorry, shifting shapes based on the attacks you're using, right, um, Thunderspire, every single time you sh- shift, shape shift, it calls down a bolt of lightning. And so that's a great example of how one item could kind of make you rethink the way, the order in which you're using your abilities. A random bolt of lightning or a lightning yeah, bolt that a, will hit something? A random bolt of lightning that's going to hit something. Okay, okay, right, cool. Right. Very, yeah. very important. Um, and then the for those of you who played Diablo 2 and remember rune words from Lord of Destruction, those are back. But they work very differently. They're kind of an algorithm. So you get an if rune. It's like if you use a healing potion, then you can get a then rune, then you gain 10% crit. So uh, the itemization is obviously still in the works, but I think the the point here is that that is definitely there too in a pretty big way, and I can't wait to see where they go with it. Oh, man, uh, this, this is so good. I am very happy about this video game, even though probably going to be waiting a long time. Long time. <laughs> to, to I'll be curious it. to see. 2023 is my guess. We'll see. Yeah. It's always an interesting thing. It's like, what was the first demo like versus the last demo, and how much has it changed? Very true. Time? I mean, yeah, I mean, this this... I don't know if we would call this a vertical slice or, or yeah. if they did just sl- cut this out of, a, of an in, in development actual build of the game. But it's very possible that that BlizzCon build you played will never be seen again. Like they may, they may I change think the game. might be pretty likely. Yeah, quite a bit. But uh, regardless, that early feedback, man, it is, it is making me very, very excited for that video game. Can't wait. Uh, Overwatch 2, le- not to be left behind, also, which which had kind of leaked ahead of time, yep. um, Overwatch two on the way, Miranda. Yeah, it's Sim, on you the and way. I, I, know it's, uh... <laughs> I mean, I, I appreciate again appreciate what Overwatch two did. I had fun with it. My brother plays it professionally in college, which is really cool. Um, so I watch it sometimes. But yeah. James, sum up just the, <laughs> sort of the quick the high points. Of- uh, yeah. Overwatch, my experience with Overwatch two at BlizzCon. Eh. Yeah, it's it's just. It, it's, it's like a step. More? It's like a step forward, not a leap forward. Yeah, of yeah. Like it, what it wants to do with this content, and she's like, "Hey, can you? Could, would you guys like to buy this again? We're gonna give you some <laughs> PVE stuff." If you played Retribution and you played it on the harder difficulties, yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. So if you played it on, if you played Retribution or any of those like uh, PVE focused events, you've played at least what Rio de Janeiro was uh, at BlizzCon, and it was just, it didn't feel great. I don't think they did a, a wonderful job in terms of um, having. Gameplay that was unique and kept you engaged. It felt very much like I'd rather be playing multiplayer. And even then, do I want to be playing multiplayer because the meta is so strict? And uh, I don't know. As somebody who has become a little bit disenfranchised with Overwatch uh, from when I started, I I don't think this is going to bring me back. It didn't bring you back. Okay. Yeah, oh. it just feels like it didn't change a lot over time. And usually that's good. But when your meta gets stale people who aren't playing professionally just don't care anymore. It's like hard to care, right? Yeah. Like, especially if it's a meta you don't like, then it's just, let's, why yeah. would I play this when I can go play Apex or something else that's keeping more me more interested? I have to say I agree, on. yeah. All right, so, so there's uh, those are the two big announcements, uh, but we have more next-gen stuff to cover. Some big news out of Ubisoft this past week. Watch Dogs Legion, which had been set for a March release date. Rainbow Six Quarantine, which is a Siege uh, expansion. Gods and Monsters, and then two unannounced titles as well, all bumped to next gen. To, uh, they specifically called it Scarlet and PS5. Uh, this is a quote from Eve Guillemot, the CEO of Ubisoft. The five titles will be will be on this generation 
and the next generation of consoles, and they will take full advantage of all the new features that are coming with the machines, which are actually going to be extremely interesting for players as you'll be able to download new content a lot faster. Players will experience better frame rate, so there are lots of very good elements that will come with those new machines. So um, this is a it's a pretty significant setback time-wise for Watch Dogs. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's a more than a six. That's a good eight, nine plus month delay because we we still don't know if Watch Dogs will will it be a launch title now on Scarlet next fall or will it will they push it out? Further than that, like maybe further out into the launch window, you know, maybe early, maybe a full year delay into early 2020. Don't know, but give Grandma her time to shine. Exactly. <laughs> next, <laughs> next, next spring is pretty Helen. busy. <laughs> Thirty <laughs> Helens agree. Uh, There's kids in the hall reference for you guys. And then uh, Gods and Monsters has been had been set for, if memory serves me, April. Yeah. I think is yeah. Thank you. Is I'm where that one sure was. That one. But that one we really hadn't seen any gameplay of any any real concrete gameplay of whereas watchdogs did a, a big gameplay demo at e3 so um gods and monsters pushed out as well now we do know historically ubisoft shows up at console launches in a big way any any console launch 360 xbox one uh connect vita like they're always gonna they're always there with in fact i asked eve about that when he came in here to do unfiltered uh gosh what six seven months ago now and he said that is part of their strategy i mean they they want to be out there and because there's there's so little noise you know they've got a chance to really you know if something's good it can really land and gain an audience so um i would have to imagine that at least one of these three announced games are probably going to hit that launch window again they might not but this yeah. is just me basing basing that educated guess on their track record. So Gods and Monsters actually supposed to be in February. February, thank you. Which is I, way earlier. So it's getting pretty significant delay yeah. if they're waiting until next gen. Yeah. So I would assume a lot of these are going to be ready to go off the bat. It's just like, hey, maybe they think that launching with next gen is just going to be a better play. I mean, I if I weren't working in this industry and I had a tighter budget for game stuff, I probably would be saving a lot of my time to buy games until next gen is out. That makes mm. a ton of sense, especially when you're going to have to pay five hundred plus dollars. Especially when you know, at yeah. probably five hundred, hopefully not more, plus tax, plus, and then you know, t- just to even get the hardware to get ready to go for the games. Do you, do you guys think that the reception of Ghost Recon Breakpoint has anything to do with this? I doubt it. I, I don't think they look at. That's too many games for one. Well, I mean, so when Alana was here, she always used to make the joke, it's the Ubisoft game. Yeah. Right, which is this open world. There's a very, very formulaic structure to those. There is. And I, with God, I don't, you know, obviously, uh, Rainbow Six Quarantine isn't going to be like that. God's Monsters, though, maybe. And Watch Dogs Legion, I also think, could kind of fall into that category. Yeah. And I don't, Watch I don't, Dogs is the best candidate for that. Yeah. Um, and I wonder... Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think. I don't think so. Yep, I think that had more of its own issues of, as far as its identity went than these other ones do, which are very firmly set. Mm. I think. Now, of the two unannounced titles that are going to be next gen games, uh, I would have to imagine one of them is Assassin's Creed, which we already we had we got the leak earlier than ever on that the the word on the street. Uh, I think Kotaku broke it again because they seem to have someone that leaks it to do. them. Yeah, every year is uh, Viking-themed, is the word on the street for that. So I would imagine, uh, especially after having taken this year off, that the the Viking Assassin's Creed game will be a launch title because Assassin's has 
always come out in the fall, I believe. It's always been a, a Q4 title. Uh, so that that seems like a one that UB would want to get out there on day one. Of course, yeah, there'll, there'll be an Xbox One version available, but I there'll be it'll be like Black Flag, you know, uh, which which debuted on yeah. So there'll be the, the next gen iteration there. So the question is, what's the other one? If if we're if we go ahead and assume, although I know what assuming does, but if we go <laughs> ahead and say that one of those titles is Assassin's Creed, what's the other one? Splinter Cell. No, it's probably not going to be Splinter Cell. Keep pushing, Ryan. I know. One, that's the thing. It's like, uh, eventually I'll be right, yeah, right? Eventually. eventually. Yeah. I'll just be wrong a lot until eventually I'm right. But yeah, mm. I, want, I wonder what that, what another unannounced title could be that's, that we're going to be seeing here in the next little while from them. Yeah. Could be anything. Could be. Could be. Could Rainbow be, Six Siege 2. It Definitely could be not. another South Park RPG, which they develop mm. next door now. Yeah, uh, could of- be... I feel like smaller games they could bring forward too. True. Uh, is there a? Uh, I don't even know why I brought uh, Mario versus Rabbids two. Oh, three, that would five. be nice. If it's not Splinter Cell, that would be that. nice. I know this is an Xbox podcast, but Mario versus Rabbids. I, I, Miranda, I love it. Don't I, I love it? I think it's, hate the Rabbids. It's, it's, I'm sorry. I'm just like so <laughs> negative this episode. <laughs> you guys are just bringing up these things Wait, I don't like. You hate, you hate the Rabbids specifically. I hate. You don't I hate. Rabbids, there's nothing redeeming about them. Wow. You, you don't hate Mario versus oh, Rabbids. No, no, you no. just hate the Rabbids. Rabbids. You're rabid. You're like, they, like do feel, they do feel very targeted in the sense that, like, <laughs> they were like, we need a cute mascot that's and a little wacky. Cute. The, I know. They were like, this is the best we got. Just <laughs> go with it. You know what I mean? Like, I, do, I do share that sentiment on it at the very least. They're little. in, like, the minion spectrum. Yeah. But, like, minions are are kind of fun at least like when they first showed up they're fun and then they got more and more annoying over right, time right. but rabbits have just always been bad like their eyes are dumb their face is so bad their their hijinks are not funny i just want them to just just send them to diablo just let them all burn in hell <laughs> jesus i hate Secret them rabbit so level much. i hate them Moo. Moo. Anyway, that's Moo. A, oh God. Ah. Ah. <laughs> never touch diablo at that point <laughs> you know uh, no, I, just, All right, I so really don't like Miranda that, hopes it's not, not Mario versus Rabbids let's not, 2. Let's not do that. <laughs> oh my gosh, when they're in the office, Mario and people, Rabbids, would, sorry. people would leave Rabbids stuff on my desk all the time. It's like, is this harassment? Well, yeah, now we're going to do <laughs> that more. Please but, don't. So we'll see. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Ubisoft, as usual, very uh, forward thinking. They are clearly planning for next gen and uh, look look for them to, to come out swinging with at least probably a couple titles come next-gen launch in about a year from now. Uh, on the topic, the, the rest of the show is about next-gen, which is cool. So exciting. We're at like, that time. Like that's I know. We're, we're, at, we're heading into it now. It's so so uh, EA had their quarterly earnings call, so we got a couple of stories out of that. Actually, a few. <laughs> they, they were busy folks. Uh, no Battlefield game next year. So they're, they're, they're going to skip next year, which we were due by the the current cadence that dice has been on we were due for a battlefront a star wars battlefront mm-hmm. that will also not be coming out next year ea saying that uh the next battlefield will ship in fiscal 2022 which for ea begins april 2021 and ends march 2022 uh ea also confirmed which here's the battlefront part that Apex Legends would be its primary far- focus as far as shooters for 2020. So I thought for sure we were going to get uh, Battlefront 3 as a, as a 
a launch title for Scarlet. Mm. I thought that was going to be a done deal, you know, great way to for Dice to show off because their their engine is so pretty and their their technical wizardry is is uh, impressive. But no, they will be they will be taking their time and, and developing for a little further out. Good. Yeah, I agree. I I also you know I think that Apex is just like it's a phenomenal game, but also in terms of uh, financial standpoint, it I think it's the way that companies like EA want to be able to monetize a game moving forward. There's nothing you can purchase that gives you a functional uh, leg up in the game. It's all aesthetic. But with that said, it is pretty aggressively monetized. I think the Iron Crown event was a great example of that. Um, uh, Stella and I did an interview with Vince Ampella, um, and he essentially, we asked him you know, about the fallout of the Iron Crown event, those of you uh, who aren't aware, there was like essentially a hundred and seventy dollar axe. You could get two loot boxes for free, but the rest you had to pay for. Yeah. So it just wasn't. It didn't. Did you feel just say hundred and seventy? Hundred and seventy dollar axe, but you keep it out at all times. <laughs> um, it wasn't. Yeah. Anyway, you had to collect all the loot boxes, and then you got the axe. Awful. Anyway, ask Vince Ampella, and I'm going to uh, paraphrase here, but the quote is not too far off. Essentially, he had pretty positive things to say about the event said that it brought a lot of new players in. Um, and then he said, aside from the minor backlash, this was, you know, this was when the whole Apex Reddit was on fire and the developers were calling people names and um, it was a bad look. But I think that they're probably moving forward with that monetization. We're going to see more seasons. We're going to see more aesthetics. And, you know, how do you work that into a Battlefield game and a Battlefront game? And I think that they uh, came up against a... a pretty staunch opposition when they tried with both of those. I don't think they'll necessarily try to do that sort of monetization, both of those. I mean, they did historically. It's already yeah. happened. Yeah, I know. But I think that was the problem is that they need to figure out how to do it better. And yeah. that was the whole big thing over the fall. It was like, okay, Apex, we're sorry, community, that we did this yeah. really terribly. We're going to make sure this doesn't happen again. And uh, they're kind of like figuring it out. I mean, the thing is, you get a free game, right? And I think my biggest, pro one of my bigger problems with Apex's monetization is how you go about buying currency for in-game stuff, where it does that awful thing of like, you have these bundles and these bundles will never align with how much Absolutely. you Absolutely. That's, that's one of that's, so many strategies. The Fear of missing out. Yes. Uh, and then that's- Completionism. That's just a free-to-play thing. Like you see in almost any free-to-play game and you try to, I always try to keep it perspective of like, because I play a lot of different kinds of free-to-play games to get a better sense of like what these economies look like. Yeah. And so it's like, I play this one mobile game that I really love called Love Nikki. And it's like a fashion game and you can buy these like suits and like sometimes they're a dollar, sometimes they're $20. Sometimes they are a hundred dollars, but people will go for them because like they're super special and like you can, anyway. Um, and you're invested in the game. You're invested emotionally. In the game. Like, maybe that's the like one thing you play. Wise. It's like, this right. is something it's, special to your point, me. to your point, that, that thing that you talked about where, I need to buy something that's $90, but the only thing, the only option I have is to spend 110 and be left over yes. this extra currency. That's what I'm talking about. There's that, there's the fear of missing out, limited time events. There's a lack of control over what you're able to buy. You have to buy a mystery box and hope that the thing you want is in there. Yeah, that's and my, they did address that in some ex, to some yeah. extent, but not really. Like it is, it is predatory. Yes. I think what they need to do is be better about experimenting with different kinds of formats for things that they're selling. Like them not just outright selling things is the biggest thing that gets me, especially because you do have to buy that extra currency that I don't yeah. necessarily want yeah, to pay for, but I just want 
I want one thing and I want that one thing. Please just let me buy it. And some companies are doing better than others about like figuring out and just like, just let them buy that. Cause you'll probably, I mean, maybe, I don't know how you, you probably won't actually make more sales. I don't really know. I have a very brief but, but just let me and buy funny anecdote about thing. that. There was, we were, we were trying to come to the exact dollar amount that you needed to get to get this bloodhound ax. Oh yeah. For, and it was myself, Destin Gary, my boss, Stella Chung, uh, who works on Destin's team. All three of us came up with a different dollar figure based on our calculations. Yeah. One of us is right, two of us are wrong. <laughs> you know, we're grown adults, uh, professionals, hopefully, um, not mathematicians, but still, the point is like this, imagine if you were a kid that's how, doing that's this, how right? Or a parent. the whole thing right. was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, that's very intentional. That's very, very, it's very much designed that way. So there's that, and like one of the things that I feel like I get more of my money's worth whenever it comes to customization, it feels like if I'm buying pieces of an outfit or something, because it's like, if I can mix and match things that came from different seasons, different events, and I can show that off in my own style, my own way to like pull it together, it feels more of a value yeah. than like I can wear this one thing that I paid a lot of money for, but I'm neglecting the other things that I would have purchased. And I know it's like really weird getting into the meta of this and like what that means. But as, as someone who does buy things, like if I can't use multiple things at once or like mix and match, then it feels a lot less worth buying right now it's also it's a closed ecosystem compared to something like steam where if you buy an item in dota 2 potentially down the line you could resell it and get a portion or maybe even more money back sometimes way Uh, more yeah yeah uh so but yeah it's it's a lot ea and dice no doubt taking a lot of notes from (laughs) apex for good and bad over the the next year as as apex will be the shooter focus for the company uh, and we will not be seeing battlefield or battlefront (laughs) at scarlet's launch next fall. Uh, another game we will not be seeing at Scarlet's launch next fall is Dragon Age 4. However, we apparently are going to get some little something or other in a, in a little less than 30 days here. Actually, yeah, just about 30 days. BioWare tweeting, today marks 10 years of Dragon Age, the original Dragon Age Origins first game. Uh, this year, we're excited to join the community's party on December 4th and celebrate a decade together in the world we all love. See you on 12-4 for Dragon Age, spelt with Leetspeak 4-G-E, day. Uh, <laughs> and in the new quarterly earnings call, the reason so the reason this is a head-scratch, okay, so we got the Game Awards last year. There was that just the Dread kinda, Wolf trailer. Yeah, that yeah. random teaser in the middle of it had a little bit of lore hiding in there for, for dissected on IGN.com. Yes. For dragon age aficionados, but, uh, no mention of where this game is when it's coming. And it, we, we would come to find out through, I believe it was Jason Schreier's reporting on Kotaku that this thing is way out there. And now confirmed, uh, EA saying on their conference call, they did not expect dragon age four to release until after March, 2022. That if you, Need to do the math is uh, we're looking at two and a half, three years away, which means given that Dragon Age Inquisition was out in holiday 2014, that means we're looking at at least eight years between Dragon Age releases, um, which just makes me wonder why on earth do you tease do any sort of Dragon yeah. Age 4 teaser this far? Now, I know I'm, I'm judging I'm, I'm judging this chicken before it's hatched to mix a metaphor, but um, yeah, it seems a little strange on its surface. I, I kind of could see this as them wanting to put their best foot forward and be like, hey guys, we're really working on this. We want to kind of give you an idea of what we're working toward just because there was so much drama around Andromeda. 
True. Um, and I, and of anthem. course, Anthem. Yeah. Uh, so I think they just wanted to give a reassurance. They're like, hi guys, this is the direction we're going for. I know it's a long time away, but we would just want to give you something to like sit with until we're ready to show more. I, I agree with that. And, and to kind of add on to that, uh, in my own context, it feels, it feels a little bit, um, like a gut reaction. Like, Oh, don't worry. The thing you love is coming back. We're not, you know, so very much. I I agree. I think that that, that probably, and I don't think that's a great move. You know, the, the analogy that I'm drawing is like blizzard and not announcing Diablo four last year and announcing Diablo Immortal and waiting until Diablo four is in a playable state, or at least there was a demo to announce it. And like things didn't go great for them there, but, um, yeah, I it, it doesn't. I feel like we're moving as an industry. We're moving away from the cadence of here's a here's a teaser for a game that's going to come out in five years versus Apex. Here's a game that's out now. Yeah, right. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I guess my the thing I'm worried about with, I mean, not that it's my job. I don't work for EA, but I feel like if you are actively teasing Dragon Age Four three years before it's going to come out, you just it's almost impossible to sustain that kind of interest and hype and keeping the, the, the fire stoked with fans for that. And it just seems like it could, it'll just build up into a thing where fans will, will get fatigued and eventually just be like, Oh, is this, and it'll just end up, you know, not having the, the, the positive effect by the time the game does actually come out. So I'm curious how EA and Bioware are going to, not only handle this particular apparent Dragon Age teaser next month, but also, you know, how they are going to spend the next three years as far as if they're going to stay pretty quiet or if they are going to try and take a pretty active, vocal, you know, two-way conversation with the community on this. Yep. I kind of hope they just show this and then go quiet. Just let them do their thing. Yeah. Let them not have to worry about putting a slice together or something pretty. Just let them work on the game. Yeah. Eight years. I mean, that's a... I would imagine that the the project has been probably scrapped and re reshaped and and restarted at least once. If it's if we're looking at eight years between, so. which yeah. you know is that normal? That's Game okay. development is insanely difficult, and I say that as someone who only observes it from a little closer than most people get to. I'm not. Yeah. I am not even in it. I haven't even lived it. I know it's a, you know it's an extremely difficult. Uh, process yeah in in any whether you're making a small game or a or a giant one so i'm always i think i say this a lot on the show but i'm always a fan of letting developers have the time they need to work on their game of course within reason it's like just we don't we don't need something every single year because we have plenty of other games to play and as excited as i am for dragon age i just want them to have their time to make a good game yeah and and do it in a healthy way (laughs) exactly uh finally um, one more from the ea conference call nba live 20 so you know i know uh and I think I'm I might be the only hoops fan on the on the panel, which is okay. But um, you know, NBA 2K obviously the juggernaut in this field. It has been for ten years now, ever since kind of EA rebooted NBA Live the first time, tried to make it NBA Elite, and at the exact same time, like just as they were flailing. 2K, which had been good, they got Michael Jordan in the game where he had never agreed to be in it, and it just the the, the two one one cratered and the other ascended, and that's it's been tough ground for EA to try and make up ever since. And you know they've they've they started uh, they did finally relaunch NBA Live at the beginning of this generation. I actually reviewed that first one on the Xbox One, and it was it was not good. It was not a good video game. But to EA's credit. 
They have worked hard every year and live has gotten better, but they have decided to take this year off and retool for next gen. So uh, EA issuing a statement on Twitter, we're excited by our progress, but remain hyper ambitious. So we're not going to release NBA Live 20 this season. Instead, EA says it, quote, has uh, has sights set on creating something fresh for the next generation of players and platforms. We know we need to earn our future every step of the way, so we're taking time to get it right for our players, which that's, you can't argue with, that's, that's a very humble, that's a, that's a great statement there. Hey, they're, they're acknowledging, we know we got we to gotta earn your trust back, we've got to earn uh, the support, so uh, good for them, because the Sports game development, I've talked to enough sports game developers, and I know I've said this on the show before, but I think they have among the very hardest, most difficult jobs in all of game development because an annualized sports franchise, they effectively have nine months of development because there's there's testing, there's certification before they have to kind of just wrap it up and and get it out the door before moving on to the, the patches and then the next year's game. So it's, it's a really tough job and one where they don't get to do, they, they never get to address everything on their wish list. They might say, well, we want to, we want to introduce this new mode. We want to fix this thing. We want to improve the animation system. We want to do this, but they might be able to, they have to prioritize and they, that, that nine months only gives them time to do two or three of those things. So, uh, I salute EA for saying, Hey, you know, we're, we're the underdog here. We're trying to rebuild ourselves. Let's take an extra year. We'll look at Scarlet and go from there. So, you know, 2K gets another year unchallenged, but hopefully in the end, it means we get uh, a really good NBA Live game that can help push 2K and, and not only be a viable alternative for gamers, but the competition, we've seen it in previous generations of consoles when the two of them are both good and this applied i mean the most famous story of this is is uh, madden being challenged by nfl 2k and they pushed each other to the point where ea (laughs) bought the exclusive Mm. rights to the nfl so the competition will be a good thing for for the games and for gamers so um Good stuff. I, I I say good on EA here. You know the the, the knee jerk thing might be to goof on them and be like, oh, they can't get a game out. Like, no, this is a good thing. This is uh, good on them and good on the higher ups at EA for for not just telling the devs, no, you need to help our bottom line and just push something out. So I give them credit there. All right, my friends, we have about come to the end of the road. Before we do, we've we've. <laughs> We've been skipping the loot box and the trivia for so long because these shows have been running. We've just had so much to talk about. Let's at least do the loot box real quick. I have an answer for that. This is good. I'm glad glad to see this. So yeah, I've been sitting on this one for weeks now. Dan G from the UK. Dan, thank you so much for writing in. Dan asks, if you could bring any game developer back from the dead to make or remake a game, what would it be and what game? And Dan which I can't argue with at all, says he would bring Lionhead back for a full ground-up remake of Fable in 4K. So that, that's, that would be nice. I would, that would be, you know, we did get that anniversary edition a while ago now, which you know, was a nice polish up of the original, but that would be pretty cool to see. So 
James, I'll go your way first, just since you said oh, you had an, uh, my an answer kind teed of, up. It is, it is teed up, but it is also kind of BS because the studio is totally fine. <laughs> oh, that but, is BS. <laughs> but the series is kind of dead. Okay. Um, and this is this is uh, Unknown Worlds, who made Subnautica. Uh, yeah. I'd, li- I'd love for them to make Natural Selection 3. Uh, it's a very, very unique. There's two players that play as the kind of RTS commander. The catch is all the units are real players. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's this very, very fun, asymmetrical, team-based multiplayer game. And I just think it's so unique. And it never really broke, so to speak. Natural Selection 2 was, was popular, but I really think there's a lot of a lot of life in that franchise. Uh, Subnautica's great, though, too. So anyway, that's my nice. BS answer. I like that. Miranda, you got anything? Or you want a minute while I go? Oh, I'm ready. You're ready? I've been ready for okay. weeks. Please. So mine's a good shout-out to the OG Xbox fans. Um, I would really like to see Blitz Games come back. They closed in 2013. Um, they used to do a lot of licensed games. They were actually the original developers for Fusion Frenzy, which is one of my that. favorite. <laughs> yeah. games. I love it so yeah. much. And Fusion Frenzy 2 did not do that game justice. So I would like to see that come back for a whole like remaster, remake, new game mode, just fine tune some things. Sumo needs some like retooling, you know, but you know, it'd be great. I like that. Well, I'm an old man, so I'm going to go, I'm going to dip into one of my childhood favorites. Uh, I would like LucasArts to come back from the dead and with Tim Schafer and Ron Gilbert and make a proper Monkey Island 3. Mm-hmm. That, like a, that would be, and this notice, I love Curse of Monkey Island, which was the third Monkey Island game. It's phenomenal. And then the fourth one, we don't really talk, we don't really talk <laughs> about Escape from Monkey Island. That one, that one didn't go so great. But um, yeah, Ron Gilbert, Tim Schafer, uh, LucasArts Back from the Dead, and uh, Ron Gilbert's Monkey Island 3 that he's apparently had in his head for decades. That would probably be, I had a, I had a little bit of a, an answer that will, would come off as salty, and I don't mean it, but I was thinking like, well, I'd love to see the original, even though BioWare's still alive, I'd love to see the original <laughs> Mass Effect team come back, because a lot of them have moved on, uh, including you know the writer, Drew Karpishin, and a lot of folks, but um, the original Mass Effect team, and give me that remaster or remake of Mass Effect 1, because I think it's the best it's one. It's kind of rough to play that now. It is. You really gotta be ready to deal with some <laughs> you gotta suffer you gotta suffer the gameplay to deal with like <laughs> yeah. the story beats i mean the, i love this the, but yeah, the, also yeah. it's the not combat definitely got combat. way better in two and three yes. it's because the combat in one is it's basically kotor game i mean it's a it's a it's a half step past kotor gameplay which was turn-based yeah. you know you would you would you could pause the game queue up the moves for each character in your party unpause and then they would execute and that's what Mass Effect 1 is before they went kind of fully real-time action for, for 2 and 3. But love you, Mass Effect 1. Yeah. Uh, all right. Thank you to Dan G for sending that in. If you have a loot box question, some just any video game topic you want to pose to the panel, you can send it in. The email address is unlocked at IGN.com. That's also where you can send loot box questions, which I promise we will get back to very soon. I've had another one of those teed up for a while here. <laughs> As well, enough t- too long because you guys Could have probably have googled the answer now. at this point. But no, I'm no, good. No, I know you guys are good. Uh, yeah, you can send in your loot block, loot box, Xbox trivia questions to the same unlocked at ign.com email address. Time to roll out of here. Uh, my name's Ryan McCaffrey, as you well know. I'm at DMC underscore Ryan on Twitter. Uh, what am I up to this week? Uh, nothing super fun, I guess. 
we launched our IGN first, which is about Google Stadia. I know it's not an Xbox thing, but I, it's a thing where I still don't understand how it actually works. Mm. And what, so that's sort of part of what we wanted to drill into. So if you're just curious about it, take a look on IGN or IGN's YouTube page, and we're going to have some deep dive stuff about, about Stadia and how it works uh, all month long. And my unfiltered guest is Phil Harrison, who is currently the uh, general manager and vice president at, uh, at Google on Stadia. And, the reason, and that is of interest to Xbox fans because not only was Phil back in the day uh, a, a PlayStation executive, but he had, uh, he had left PlayStation and he was a big, a big wig at Xbox. He ran Xbox Game Studios in Europe at the tail end of the 360 era and the early part of the Xbox One era. So we definitely have some Xbox-centric conversation in there too. Look for that a little later in November. Miranda. Hi, you can follow me at Havoc Gross, and that's Havoc with a K on Instagram, Twitter, pretty much everywhere else. Um, for this week, I'm mostly just doing more project management because it's that time of year, but you should check out our Call of Duty reviews if you have not already. We'd appreciate that. Um, yeah, I'm just going to be working on some behind the scenes things. Good stuff. James Duggan, appreciate you coming by. Hey, no and worries. Talking, talking Diablo with us. Any, I would literally that. talk about Diablo anytime. I could have talked to you literally. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I could have done the whole show just talking just Diablo. to you about Diablo 4. Yeah. I was I was tempted, but I, I thought, you know what? We've got too much. Diablo. Yes. Um, you I, can, thank you for staying a while. No worries. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Promote yourself. Take us home. Uh, at Thuggin Duggan, T-H-U-G-G-N-D-U-G-G-N on Twitter and Instagram. Um, Speaking of Diablo, I'm actually wrapping up the Diablo 4 written preview, maybe having a video component, depending on some things. But definitely also, uh, I did a 30-minute deep dive interview with the developers that I've yet to release, and that is coming. Excellent. We're gonna, I, I'm definitely looking to look out yeah. for that. So uh, we'll, we're going to drag Destin back in here. He didn't quit the show. Bam. But he's almost kicked off. At the, that's at, his, that's to the point that's where he's bam. I forgot to do yeah, that. Yeah, we, we almost need to throw Dustin off. No, it's fine. He'll be back next week. Hopefully, Brandon Tyrell out sick. I wish him well. He called me last night, like wanting to drag his 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 basically half half dead body in here to do I was like, No, no. Don't do that. No, no. <laughs> don't do that. I Re- don't want to get sick. Yeah, rest <laughs> up and then yeah, don't pass it on to us. Yeah. But uh wish him a speedy recovery. Hopefully he'll be back tomorrow, but and certainly on next week's show. So for James Duggan, Miranda Sanchez, I'm Ryan McCaffrey. This was unlocked 418 for November 5th, 2019. See you guys next week. Wander with us into a world of magic. Do you lack magic? Ever since I was born, I could hear the spirits of the other world. Where old stories take on a new life. If you break even one of these conditions, the consequence is death. And the world is teeming with possibilities. It's midnight, girls! They're here! Get ready to change! Well, for the last time, we're not kissing, Fritz! Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with as you've never heard them before. You are no more than a demon! Okay, Gown. Let's do this. And reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. Ready for your next adventure? Then we'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales.